This is a podcast from Destiny Church Edinburgh. Here's Peter Anderson. Okay, so there was an atheist walking through this beautiful part of the world one day, and as he was walking around looking at the mountains, thinking, wow, talking to himself, thinking, wow, isn't that amazing how that's just happened? And, and then looks at the river, and like, look at that, it's just fluke of nature there, but it's very beautiful, and the trees, and just admiring all that he put down to just pure happenstance. So he was admiring all this, and then there was a rustling in the bushes behind him, and out jumps a seven-foot-high grizzly bear and starts bounding towards him. Now, he freaks and just runs. He bolts, runs as hard as he can, but no matter how hard he runs, the grizzly bear is gaining on him. And he trips and stumbles, falls down, picks himself up, ah, and he realizes the grizzly bear's gained even more ground on him. And as he's running, he he, he turns around and he sees this paw coming to just to take him out. And he says, God, help! In that moment, everything freezes. The river stops running. The rustling in the trees just goes silent. Time stops. The bear is stopped in mid-sweep. And a light shines on the atheist. And a voice speaks and says, you're calling on me for help, and yet you've never acknowledged me all your life. In fact, you've put everything that's beautiful around you down to pure chance, and I designed it. And he said, all right, okay. And, And and God says, so do you think, are you a believer now? Do you consider yourself a believer now? And the atheist said, well, listen, that would be very hypocritical of me at this stage to, to suddenly just kind of back out and say, I'm, I'm a Christian. But listen, this is what I would ask. I would ask that you'd make the bear a Christian. And God said, okay. So the light goes and the, the, everything comes back and the, the leaves start rustling and the river starts running and the bear stops and gets down on his bare knees and puts his paws together and says, for this food that you have provided, may the Lord make me truly thankful. And the atheist died. I don't know if he was an atheist at the end. That's not bad. Atheists say, okay, if there's a God, prove it. And thousands upon thousands and millions of people have proved it by saying, God's answered our prayers. God, who we prayed to, answered our prayers. We have evidence there is a God. Jesus saw great things happen. He saw the blind eyes open. He saw the cripples walking. He even saw the dead raised. He spoke and winds and waves stopped. He saw phenomenal things happening. And on the back of seeing all that, the disciples said, could you teach us to pray? So we have two moments in the Gospels in Luke 11, and in Matthew 6, where we see Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. We're going to go to the Matthew 6 one. And Jesus, in response to their desire to learn to pray, says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I don't think the point here is that you should, uh, prayer only works when you're behind closed doors, or prayer only works when you're in your bedroom. I don't think that's what the point is. I think the point is that when you're praying, don't be aware of people, be aware of God. Don't, Don't be so highly aware of what people are thinking of you. Be highly aware of what God thinks and focus on Him. I think that's the point. 
Then it goes on and says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. And he prays this famous prayer. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins as we have also forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Notice Jesus in the prayer assumes that we pray. He says, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray. There's a basic assumption. He said it twice in the passage. There's a basic assumption that human beings pray. In fact, there was a, 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 a survey carried out. It was commissioned by The Sun. And as we know, The Sun magazine, the newspaper, often has rich theological material in it. And they, they published a survey in 2006 which revealed that 70% of people in the UK believed in God of some, in some form or shape or, or another or a higher power. 70% of people in the UK. And 44% of the UK said that they prayed at least once a week. So people pray. Jesus said, when you pray. He assumed people pray, and they do. Jonathan Edwards, the famous American theologian, said, prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. Just like you breathe in life, so people who believe pray. There is no such thing as an atheist in a sinking ship. I think there's something natural about people's desire to call on God and to connect with their Creator. So, in these verses that we've looked at tonight, I'm just going to take actually the first two words, our Father. And I'm really wanting to understand and look deeply at what does that mean and how does that impact our praying. And I've got three things for you tonight, very simply. Number one, our authority in prayer. Number two, our position in prayer. Number three, our attitude in prayer. So number one, our authority in prayer. Jesus said in verse nine, our Father in heaven. No one else had taught anyone to pray this way. It was so un-Jewish. You didn't call God Father. That was too familiar. He's the Almighty. You didn't approach him in those terms. You approached him uh, and with deepest, deepest reverence. And they deemed it demeaning God to just being father or dad was too demeaning. And yet Jesus taught in a way that was so un-Jewish. And he revealed the Father. The truth is, actually, it was the big agenda of Jesus' whole life. The big agenda of Jesus' life was to connect people to the Father. That was the purpose of his coming. That's why in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's his whole agenda. His whole agenda was that through him, and through his cross, and through his resurrection, people could come to the Father. Now, when you hear a statement like that, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our culture squirms because our postmodern culture would say, no, no, that's too exclusive. You can't say, there's only one way to God. But Jesus did. He said, I'm it. I'm the only way to God. You can only come to God through me. And so we don't, the culture doesn't like the exclusivity of this. And it also doesn't like the demands that Christianity puts on people in terms of commit your everything. You know, it doesn't like commitment. It doesn't like uh, the exclusivity. And yet, here's the issue. Christianity isn't a religion or a philosophy. It's a relationship. 
And therefore, because it's a relationship, exclusivity and commitment is to be expected. Because when you and I have serious relationships, it requires exclusivity and commitment. You wouldn't have relationship if that wasn't the case. You see, people sometimes say, I don't want to get married, I don't want to lose my independence. But you need to understand, in order to lose your independence, you don't even need to go as far as getting married. You just need to have friends. You know, if, if you've got a friend, imagine you had a phone call one day and your friend phoned you and said, uh, just phoning you because tomorrow I won't see you again ever. I'm moving to the other side of the world and I've got a job on the other side of the world. I've known about it for a while, but I realized I hadn't told you, so I'm just telling you today. Uh, so all the best. Bye. Right, this is a good friend of yours. Now, how are you feeling right now? You kind of, well, I, I tell you how I'd be, I'd be feeling, wait a minute, we're meant to be really good friends. I know I, I don't expect you to make your decisions based on me, but really, do you not think you might have discussed this with me or just made me aware of the process? Or So here's the point. We know that even in friendships, you can't have a friendship and maintain your independence. We know that. Just even in a friendship, even in a friendship, we understand that holding on to your independence, we even understand in friendships there is a commitment level. How much more when it comes to relationship with God Almighty would God expect of us, not just for a little bit of commitment, but everything, but also exclusivity. When it comes to exclusivity, you know, for a relationship to work, there's got to be exclusivity. You know, if I said, Michael, uh, I want to get to know you, and I want to love you to come over to my place for a coffee tomorrow night, and if Michael came back and said, no, right here, right now, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, what's happened there is I, I, was, I was the one offering the invitation for a relationship, and I kind of gave him the terms, and then Michael just demanded alternative terms. That just doesn't work. It just kind of kills the moment. But God has extended an invitation to the human race through Christ for people to come through Christ to him so that we could have a relationship. And because it's God extending the invitation, he gets to choose the terms. And the terms are, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Now, there's a reality and there's an importance. It's not just, see, if it, either he was very arrogant when he said that or he was completely true when he said that. And I believe he was completely true. And I believe the reason he was completely true is this. It's because Buddha didn't die for my sins. Muhammad didn't die for my sins. But Jesus died for my sins. And Jesus didn't die in his own sins because he had no sin. And yet, Buddha and Muhammad, of their own admission, had sin. So they couldn't have died in my place because they had their own sin to deal with. But Jesus did die in my place. And furthermore, Buddha and Muhammad weren't God. Jesus is God and man. And therefore, the one who is fully God and fully man, who is without sin, he died on behalf of me, the sinner. And because he was fully God, that act can transform me for eternity that God took a decisive step 2,000 years ago to deal with my sin. And because it's God, it's just as powerful right now 2,000 years later as it would have been if you were standing at the foot of the cross with the blood dripping on you. That's how powerful and how relevant the cross is. He takes your sin away because of Jesus Christ. And he rose again on the third day. And that's amazing. And the resurrection is important. You see, if Jesus had just been a good teacher who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then he would be saying, oh, he was teaching us the way to God. But because Jesus has risen from the dead... He is the way to God. That's the difference. It's an active relationship with him that brings us into the presence of the Father. 
through that great sacrifice he made. Derek Prince, who commented about these verses, he said this. He said about Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, he was revealing both the pathway and the destination. Jesus is the way and the Father is the destination. The problem with many in the church today is that we've got stuck on the way and we've never reached the destination. And I think there's truth in that. I think many people have uh, rightly focused on Jesus. And I, I focus on Jesus, you know I do. But to the detriment of focusing on the Father. No, you can't, you can't separate them because they are one. They are one God eternally existing in three persons, God. Uh, and yet, the agenda of Jesus actually wasn't to get us to focus on Jesus. The agenda of Jesus was to help us to come to the Father. And therefore, folks, the way is awesome. But Jesus' agenda was to bring you to the Father through the Son for all eternity. And many people cling to Jesus, but protect us, Jesus, from the scary Father. But actually, Jesus' agenda was to bring you to this loving Father. It says in Ephesians 2 to 18, for through him, and that's Jesus, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In the American Civil War, there was a, there was a guy who had, been, who had a bit of a family crisis back home, and he was seeking to be, get permission to be relieved from his army duties so that he could go and look after his family. And he had an appointment, amazingly, to see the president. So he was in his he was in his uniform, he went to the White House, and as he went there, even though he had an appointment, he was denied access. And he was absolutely gutted. So he sat on a, a bench in a nearby park, totally distraught. He didn't know what other options he had. He wanted to be there for his family, but he couldn't be. And then uh, as he was there, a young lad came along, and he entered into conversation with this young lad, and he told him his predicament, and the young lad said, I can help you, come with me. So the soldier followed this young lad round the back of the White House <coughs> to one of the back entrances, <clears throat> and there was a soldier there. There was guards, but the guards didn't stop the young lad, so they just continued past the guards and through another set of guards, through a doorway, down some corridors, and eventually they came to a large, impressive room, and they opened the door, and there was Abraham Lincoln with the Secretary of State in a conversation. And Abraham Lincoln turned around and said, Todd, come in, what can I do for you, son? And Todd introduced the soldier and said, this soldier needs your help. This soldier had access to the president through the son, and we have access to, Jesus, to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. And that's the truth, that he came to bring us to the Father. So when you're praying, our Father, when you start your praying and you pray, our Father, just those two words, then you need to understand that you can pray, our Father, because a very high price was paid. So in that moment when you're praying, our Father, think, wow, the price that was paid that I could just say that. Be blown away. Be amazed that because of Jesus, you can say, our Father. You, couldn't, you can't just pick those words out of the air. They would mean nothing. But because of Jesus, they're a reality. Very high price made it possible for you to say, our Father. And also, it gives you authority when you're praying. John 14, 13, Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, when you're coming in the name of Jesus... In the name of Jesus isn't just the way you end prayers, like a wee kind of lucky charm, little throwaway statement. In the name of Jesus 
is a deep understanding that it's because of Jesus and all that he did on the cross that I can come before our Father and petition and ask. I have authority before the Father in the name of Jesus. I have access to the Father in and because of the name of Jesus Christ. So when you say, our Father, understand that you are coming with the full authority at a very high price before God. So that's how you start praying. You pray, our Father. The second thing we realize is we have authority in prayer, but secondly, we realize our position in prayer. Jesus, when he said, pray our Father who is in heaven, what he actually does is he contrasts a wrong type of praying with the right type of praying. Let's look at the verses. Verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. In contrast, verse 9, you should pray our Father. Now, when we think of the word pagan, we typically think of an unreligious person, a secular person, an atheist, a pagan. But actually, when Jesus was using the word pagan, he was talking about very religious people. He was talking about people who religiously babbled. And in fact, they may even pray more than you and I. But they were religious. It wasn't like they had a relationship with God. They were just religious. I guess pagan could, could refer to any false religion other than the real deal that connects you with him. Pagan. And he contrasts, uh, so here's the point, the dividing line in humanity isn't between atheists and believers, because actually in the world's population, the scheme of things, there's only a very, I mean, a two, three, four percent of the world population would be atheists. I mean, it's tiny, tiny. So that's not the dividing line. The dividing line is between religious people who babble and don't have a relationship and people who have an authentic relationship with the Father. That's the dividing line in humanity. And Jesus is contrasting these two different types of approaches to God. The basis of your approach to God determines how successful your praying is going to be. Your basis of approach determines the ask in your praying. So, for example, in Edinburgh, you could approach people on the streets. You could approach a random person on the streets, and you could ask them one of two things. Anyone in Edinburgh, you could probably ask them, what's the time? Or how do I get to that place? You can ask them that. And what's the basis of your asking? Well, common humanity. Now, you couldn't ask them, can I have your briefcase? Because mine's got a hole in it. You couldn't ask them that. You know that would be crossing a line that, you know, come on, listen, we're human beings. Why can't you give me your briefcase? You know, that's not going to work. You need a bigger basis, okay? Now, if it was in your living room with your brother or your sister, your, your sibling, you could ask, can I have your briefcase because mine's got a hole in it? No problem, you could do that. But you have to understand, so the basis by which you're praying determines the size of the ask that you can ask. So here Jesus is giving you, actually, there's two bases in which people pray. He's saying there's a pagan basis they think they're going to be heard for the many words. And then there's the people with authentic relationship who, when they pray, they pray, our Father. I guess it's the contrast between a business-type relationship and a family-type relationship. That's the real contrast. So, in a business-type relationship, the way you're approaching God would be, I have something for you. They think they will be heard for the many words. God's bound to hear now because I've prayed so many times. However, in a family-type relationship, the basis of your confidence is, I mean something to you, which is very different. 
on one hand, it's your approach before God, the pagan way, would be based on your performance. It's a kind of business-type relationship. If I perform, I'll be accepted. Uh, and when it comes to relationship with the Father and a real relationship, the basis is commitment, that there's an understanding, there's a relating there. A good example might be a landlord and a tenant. If you're a tenant in a house, you pay your rent to a landlord. Now, you have a good relationship with that landlord as long as you pay your rent and as long as that landlord performs his or her duties towards you. If they're doing their duty towards you as a landlord, you have a good relationship with them. If you pay your rent, they have a good relationship with you. It's based on performance. However, that's very different to being a son or a daughter when your dad owns the house. Very different. And that's the difference, I guess, that Jesus is trying to contrast here between the pagans who pray, who who they have to perform to be accepted, and the people who have an authentic relationship and call him our father, who it's not about performing, it's because they are accepted that their performance changes. That's the point. When Jesus said you should pray, you should pray, our Father. It changes the basis and it changes the expectation of the ask. Now, if you said to a Muslim, when I pray, I call him Father, a Muslim would be aghast because for a Muslim, you can't call God Father because he's the Almighty. He's great. He's the Creator. You can't demean him into familiar terms. Now, we wouldn't disagree with the Muslim in that we see God as great. We read our Bibles and we see He's the Creator. We see He's mighty. We see He's awesome. And yet, we believe that doesn't contradict Him also being our Father. We understand Him as our Father and yet still as the Creator and still as the Almighty. For example, President Obama, if you were to have an appointment with him and you, you would have to go through a huge process you might have to have been someone who achieved great things. You might have to have a certain status and position. You might have to have a certain level of performance in life and certain awards or, you know, you'd been a military hero or something like that to get an, a, a President Obama appointment. And after having the appointment, you would probably have to go through several screenings to even get near the place. Now, and here's the other thing. If you ran towards President Obama, they would shoot you. But if you're one of President Obama's daughters and you ran towards President Obama, they wouldn't shoot you. Furthermore, you couldn't wake up President Obama at three in the morning and ask him for anything. But one of his daughters could wake him up at three in the morning and ask him for a glass of water, and he would probably get it for her. Even if his wife woke him up at three in the morning and asked for a glass of water, he'd probably say, no, you, you can get it yourself, honey. But seriously, if, if, if one of his daughters asked him, Dad, can I have a glass of water? Guarantee you he would get that for him. Doesn't mean he's not any less president. No, he's still president. It's just to them he's father and president. And that's the difference. That's the difference when it comes to us. When we believe God is our father, it doesn't mean that it doesn't diminish in any way he is almighty. Boy, he is. He is totally holy. In fact, it says, hallowed be your name. He's, he's totally 
deserving of reverence and deep honor, and we could prostrate ourselves before him, absolutely. And yet the truth is he is our father. And because he's our father, we can ask him for inappropriate things. You see, it would be inappropriate to ask a king for anything at three in the morning unless you're his son or daughter. You can ask him for a glass of water. It's inappropriate for anyone else, but for you and I, you can ask him for the simplest of things. The prayer goes on and says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Some people think God's too busy for me to ask about the simple little things that would, you know, I can't bother God with that. Well, you're talking about God. Someone needs to wake up, apparently. <laughs> wake up. Uh, you know, it's, you're talking about God as if, he's a, as if he's a human being. I mean, like God's got this crazy telephone. And he's trying to answer everyone's prayers. You think, honestly, he's not Jim Carrey. This is not this, is, this would be impossible for a few of So don't even contrast them. God can handle seven billion prayers at once, any second of the moment. You know, God can handle that. You can ask, you can approach God with even the smallest request you have. And some people have this religious guilt thing where, how could I ask for my thing when there's thousands starving in Africa? Now, I understand the sentiment of what you're saying. I understand the compassion with which you asked it. But here's the deal. Do you think that God can't answer a person in Africa just as much as he can answer your prayer? And do you think that he doesn't care for you? That he wouldn't want to answer simple prayers about the concerns of your life just as he wants to answer the prayers of people's lives in Africa? Now, you're just not there, so you don't hear their testimonies. But he answers their prayers just as much as he answers your prayers. Give us a stay our daily bread. You can ask God the creator for things that would be inappropriate to ask a king for but he's your dad and he's actually concerned and actually he wants to and desires to answer the simplest of prayers so ask trust him for things ask about the details of your life the coincidentals which actually matter to you even though it might in the scheme of things not seem that important to anyone else you can ask and god will hear an answer how do you become a child of god John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. So I'm guessing probably most of you here believe in Jesus. But if you don't, if you want to become a child of God, here's how you do it. You believe in Jesus and you receive him into your life. You believe that what he did on the cross, his performance means that you can have access to God. That what he did in that cross and his resurrection forgives you, gives you a new start. You can know him as Father. Amazing from that point forward. So when you're coming, our Father, you're thinking, do you know what? You are almighty. But you're also my dad, so I can ask you for anything. Here's another thing. When you're asking our Father and you come on that basis, you're also reminding yourself that you're his child by adoption. Now, who chooses who? Is it an adopted child chooses to adopt, be adopted, or is it always the father's prerogative to adopt? It's always the father's prerogative to adopt. So when you're coming before God and you're saying, our father, what you're actually saying is you are acknowledging that, do you know what? I am not coming to you on the basis of my merits or my efforts. I'm coming to you on the basis of you choosing me. You know what? I mean, I had the tiniest little bit to play in this. I said, okay, I believe you. 
That's the tiniest little bit I had to play in this. The rest of it was all his prerogative. So when you're coming and saying, our Father, you're saying, this is all of you and a tiniest bit of me. And actually, that's a very good basis to come on prayer because you're about to ask God for some big things where you need it to be all him. And that's okay. So you start with our Father. And an adoptive father, a good adoptive father, loves the adopted kids just as much as he loves the natural child. And that's exactly the same with this father. When you're coming before Father, you're knowing your love just as much as he loves the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, 23. I mean, listen, let's, let's read this verse together. It's amazing. Uh, one, two, three. You sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Even as. You see that? Those two words. It's impossible to believe. Even as. Wait a minute. The Father, God's the Creator, loves you and I even as He loves the eternal Son who is perfect and pure. And I mean, they're inseparable. They are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've been together for all eternity, will be together for all eternity future. He loves you and I to the same degree that He loves the Son. Blows me away. Blows me away. Even as. That's how much you're loved. Did you know that God could not love you any more than He does? His love for you cannot diminish and also cannot increase. One million years from now, he will not love you more than he does just now because he loves you just now perfectly because he loves you to the same degree that he loves the eternal son. Wow. So when you come and you pray, our father, remember you're adopted and he loves you, the adopted son and daughter, just as much as he does the natural son the eternal Son. Blows you away, gives you confidence to pray, right? Gives you that sense of assurance as you're coming before Him. And then the rest of the prayer, I mean, in the rest of the prayer, you're praying lots of things. You're praying things like, you're praying petitions, give us this day our daily bread. You're you're confessing, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. You're, You're submitting, you're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. But it all starts with, before you get into any confession or petitioning, it all starts with, our Father. Notice that in the Lord's Prayer, sin is only mentioned later on. Do you notice that? You notice you start with our Father, and somewhere down the line you get to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, that's, that, we find that hard, don't we? If you're honest, you find that hard. And here's why we find it hard, because more often than not, our prayer times start with our sin, right? Seriously, if you're honest, more often than not, our awareness as we're coming into His presence is of our failings and sin, but you notice how Jesus didn't do it that way? And he didn't make a mistake. He said, no, you come to God on the basis of him being your father. If you're coming to God on the basis of your sin, what you're, you're acting like, actually, you're acting like a tenant to a landlord rather than the son to a father. You know, um, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle. And that was a tent where people could meet God. And in the center of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. That was the place where the presence of God was encountered and experienced. But to get there, there was a journey. And the first part of that journey was an altar where sacrifices were made, where blood was shed, where your sin is dealt with. And many of you pray like that. 
you pray like that, you're coming, the first thing you come to, you want to get to the Holy Foolish before you can even think of getting there, all right, my sin, it's the first thing you think of. And somehow or another, you've got to, you, but here's what you fail to realize. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And the sacrifice, it's not like in the olden days in the tabernacle where sacrifice after animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice, blood being shed to take away the sin, and that had to happen every time. No, no. One sacrifice was made, one for all. One person for all people, one moment for all time. Jesus Christ in your place, he died. Here's what the deal is. The deal is that's no longer where you are at in the tabernacle journey. You're in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle journey. That's the deal. You now have God as your Father. You now have the Holy Spirit in you. How could you have the Holy Spirit in you unless you were holy? Could the Holy Spirit dwell in an unholy vessel? Of course not. You've been cleansed. Blood has been shed. God no longer interacts with you in the basis of your sin. He now interacts with you in the basis of Christ and his sacrifice. Done deal. You're there. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, you pray, our Father. Now, does he get to the bit where we talk about sins? Yes, he does. But he no longer interacts with you in the basis of your sins. And that's going to be a big mental block for some of you. Because you've been so used to frequenting God and coming to him and saying, oh God, this, oh this. right, I know there's stuff there. But what you've got to do is you've got to clear that deck, but you get to that. You start with our Father, and what you're doing in that moment when you're saying our Father is you're saying, Father, thank you that I can approach you on this basis, not on the basis of my sin. Thank you I can approach you as my Father who's paid all the price that I can come to know you. Thank you, Father. You're coming, see when you're coming to God and you're saying our Father, what you're acknowledging in that moment is this, that you do not interact with me on the basis of my performance or my sin you interact with me based on Christ. That's why that's the only reason I can call you Father. Here's the fact. If God was interacting with you in the basis of your sin, you would be in hell. That's how serious that statement would be. That's how real that statement would be. God is not interacting with you in the basis of your sin. He interacts with Christ in the basis of your sin so that you and I can call him our Father. And then you're praying. You know when you go to pray, the devil joins you? The devil typically comes with you when you go to pray. And it says in Revelation 12, 10, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, he will put on you, he will constantly accuse you and make accusations in your head and tell you what you didn't do and tell you what you shouldn't have been and what you, where you should have done things. And He'll remind you of all your mistakes and faults. But you could make a, you could write Martin Luther, the reformer, years ago, he had this experience where actually this, the devil appeared to him in the kind of 15, 1600s. And the devil appeared to him, and uh, the devil started accusing him of all those things. And Martin Luther said to the devil, Okay, see that slate down there? You write down all my sins. And the devil started writing all these accusations down. And he said, Is that them all? And he, he got to the end of his list and said, Yes. He said, Now write down 1 John 1 7. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's true. He is, he's, got no, he's got no grounds of accusation. None. I mean, literally, there is no grounds of accusation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. 
It's your only hope. <laughs> I'm not saying we're good. We're not good. I'm saying Jesus, the blood, it's only hope. And as we're accepted, performance changes. But we're accepted before the performance changes. You see, you don't get adopted based on performance, all right? You get adopted based on... When you're adopted, the big change isn't behavior change. The big change is status change. Now, the behavior does change. But what changes first is status. Our Father. So, number one, our authority in prayer. Number two, our position in prayer. Number three, our gratitude in prayer. Praise is natural to a son. It's not natural to a tenant. You see, if you're interacting, you know, a tenant pays rent and expects a certain service. That doesn't result in natural gratitude and, wow, thank you, landlord, because I've paid you. It doesn't result in natural gratitude, does it? And yet, when you understand that you have been unconditionally accepted into the family of God and you can call him our Father, that should result in praise. I think when Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father, I think what he was saying is this. You start with him. Before you get into all your stuff, just get your eyes up, up, up. Come on, look. Get your eyes off this stuff. It's been filling your mind all week. Get your eyes off it. Now get your eyes on him. This will go better if you get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on him, our Father. Oh yeah, Father. Yes, God, Father. And you're realizing that moment, I can only call him Father because of grace. Nothing to me. And praise will result. You see, Let's go back to the pagans who are based on performance. If you, actually Britain, right? Pagan Britain. People in Britain, typically over the 30s year old, under 30s, they don't think of themselves as Christian, but over 30s kind of think, okay, you grew up in Britain, that equals being a Christian. Now, I haven't found that verse in the Bible, but somewhere or another, they believe that, all right? Being British means you're Christian, okay? Anyone had that? Right. Some of you have had come that. So you say to a typical older person in Britain, so are you a Christian? And what do they say? Well, of course I am. Notice the defensiveness. Yeah. Well, of course I am. And what they're actually saying is, I'm a good person. I've paid my rent. Landlord owes me. They're very defensive about it. Don't be so defensive. Um, But if you were to ask a genuine child of God are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? Their response will be very different. Their response will be, it's a miracle, but I am. It's it's incredible, but it's true. Because they're not thinking, tenant, I've been a good person. Of course I'm a Christian. They're thinking, I didn't deserve any of this. So praise results. It says in 1 John 3, 1, behold, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. We're blown away. Behold, this is incredible. Wow, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Wow. Imagine you'd done a week's work. At the end of your week's work, the boss comes up to you and gives you your paycheck. You don't say, behold, this is a miracle. I have been paid this paycheck. You don't say that, right? The guy would look at you really weirdly. You don't get so excited about that. Why? Because you were owed it. You worked. That's your pay. 
And when you come to God like a pagan, you think you're going to be accepted by your many words, not by His grace, but by your many words or maybe many efforts, then you're not going to have overwhelming gratitude in your soul because you think you're just getting what you're due. In fact, if you don't get your prayers answered, you'll be angry because you think the landlord hasn't done what the rent demanded he should do. Right? Whereas if you understand he's a father, sometimes the prayers aren't answered because he typically will give you what you ask for, but he will also give you sometimes what you would ask for if you saw things the way he saw them because he loves you. And because you understand him as father, there's no resentment in your soul at all because it's, it's not your due, it's your opportunities. He's your father and he's great. But you, when, you, when you understand, I got this for nothing, I got this at his expense, then you say, behold, what manner of love is this? And you come and you pray, our father, thank you that I can call you father. Thank you I come on the grounds of Christ. This is before you get onto anything else, onto any petitioning, onto anything else. So we're about to go into a season as a church where we're going to be praying. And we're going to be calling on God. We're going to be calling God as individuals, but I also encourage you, start prayer meetings. Gather a few people together with you. Get two or three together. Hang out. Why do you do it every week? Just start them. Just start them organically. Right through this whole next few months, just start them. Gather some people and pray. And pray and pray. And let's see God do some amazing things. But you know what? Our praying would mean nothing this summer if you came like a pagan. If you just many words hoping God will hear you. But when you come understanding that it's purely on the basis of him being your father that you are accepted, then your praying will be powerful. And you can ask about coincidentals and colossal things and God will move and operate because you're praying on the basis of of the name of Jesus and the access you have through Jesus and the position you've attained to in Jesus. So, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's why we come, our Father. I'm so delighted you're my Father. You ready for some answered prayer? That's what's going to happen. So number one, our authority in prayer. That's what our Father means. We have authority. Number two, our position in prayer. We are not tenants to a landlord. We are sons and daughters to a father. And then thirdly, our attitude in prayer. There's overwhelming gratitude in our souls because we didn't get this by us. We got this by him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. Okay, just in his presence just now, why don't just each one of you take a moment to call him Father. Just, just pray that simple prayer, our Father. And when you're saying our Father before him, think about all the implications of what that means. Just take a moment to reflect on that and to pray that to him. Just in your seats, pray our Father and think about what you're saying. Repeat it over a few times. Let the penny drop. Our Father.
to understand that when you know him as father there's been a lot of mess that happens in life there's a lot of mess that happens in life but the amazing thing is our father cannot just save you eternally but he can fix the mess he can heal the wounds he can repair the soul he's a specialist at that he can go more than any other human agency can. God can transform lives. He's the Father and you're His children. And He doesn't just want to save you eternally. He wants to redeem you and rescue you and strengthen you and repair you and restore you on earth. Just open your souls to Him. Let Him be that to you. Let's just take a moment. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know the Lord's Prayer. Actually, I don't think it's always meant to be recited. I think sometimes it's good to, to camp on each statement and, and take five or ten minutes praying on each of the statements. So that's how I do it, certainly. But let's just take a moment just to go through it, just letting it impact us. So all of us together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us for our sins as we forgive everyone who has sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Okay, I'm going to just give anyone an opportunity here tonight just while everyone else is praying just while everyone's praying if you're here and you don't know God you don't know him as father and you want to know him as father I'd like the opportunity just to pray with you just now and give you that opportunity to respond to him so that's you tonight and you're saying Peter I want to know God as my father I want to commit myself to him. I want to let Jesus cleanse me from sin and give me a new star. I realize it's a big commitment, but it's a great commitment. If that's you tonight, let me know it's you just by raising your hands. Anyone like that this evening? stand in his presence. I hope this message has helped you. If you'd like to find out more about our church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work he is doing in your life.